Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And in that gathering, they would take, they would partake of the communion or the Lord's Supper. And there's a variety of other names that people use interchangeably for this uh, ordinance. And so in this, Paul was writing to them to communicate some things to them. And that's where we're going to pick up in our, our, part, our portion of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. Paul writing to the Christians, the body of Christ gathered there in, the, in Corinth. Um, and that's where we pick up. So first, verse 17, 1 Corinthians 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks uh, judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let them eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for instructions from your word. God, leadership by the power of your Holy Spirit that will allow us, will aid us in discerning sin and confessing and repenting of sin, being reminded of your grace and forgiveness and mercy. And with true repentance and confession, uh, there's immediate mercy and forgiveness. And Lord, we, we're grateful for that. And so as we are just reminded this morning of what we do when we partake in the Lord's table. I pray, God, you would lead this time for us. You would help us. You would aid us. You would guide us. That we'd be able to take this table, this this ordinance, in a manner worthy of your honor and your glory and your praise. And that, God, you would use this time to challenge us, encourage us, and lead us. Uh, whether sin, I pray there would be uh, repentance and confession. I pray there would be joy uh, in knowing that uh, our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. 
there would be victory, and that, Lord, there would not be condemnation, but, Lord, where you've brought conviction, there, uh, Lord, you would, you would give liberty and freedom uh, through repentance. I pray for those in this room who are not saved, that, God, you would bring salvation. And for those who are, continued sanctification, continue conforming us to the image of your Son. And where there's trials, Lord, I pray it would lead us uh, to just embrace you more, to find our hope and comfort and peace in you and not in the things of this world. So lead us, we ask, in this time. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the notes, if you've been with us any length of time, uh, at least probably over the last, within the last uh, 10 to 12 months, uh, it's going to be eerily similar to what we studied uh, uh, last year in the Gospel and the Lord's Supper. And it was intended just to simply be a quick reminder before we go into the table. And for those who aren't here, and this is the first time you're hearing it, hopefully, um, maybe not a reminder, maybe some teaching to help you further understand why we would do this. And so our notes are going to be kind of almost answering questions um, and to be able to just respond using the text to respond to some of those questions. So the Lord's Supper, what are the two ordinances of the church? There's two things that the church... Uh, has been commanded to do as, as far as in its gatherings together. There's a lot of other things that the church has been commanded to do in addition to this, but as far as ordinances uh, that the church would is required to do, two of those things are, number one, baptism. Now, baptism is, is, happens only as often as someone who's repented of sin and placed their faith and trust in Jesus. So we don't do that every week unless there's somebody who is, is needing baptism. And, and it's because baptism reflects the initial identification with Christ and his church. So you don't just get baptized as a result of, I just want to kind of turn over a new leaf and uh, we move to this new area of town and we want to kind of just be cleansed. That's well, not the purpose of baptism. The purpose of baptism it reflects the initial identification with Christ and his church. Baptism is similar to the symbolism of exchanging wedding rings following the vows in a marriage ceremony. So as the wedding ring reflects the symbolic act, of associate, uh, symbolic act associated with the I do in the marriage, baptism identifies the believer's prior submission and covenant relationship with Christ through his spirit. It is an outward manifestation of an inward transformation. And so ultimately it's saying at some point prior to this moment of baptism, I had re- repented of my sin, placed my faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And therefore uh, he's given and granted his Holy Spirit and regenerated, made me new from the inside out, changed my wants, changed my desires that I now desire the things of God. I desire to be with believers. I desire to know Christ. I desire to read his word. I desire to obey his word. And that's this. So baptism then symbolizes that change that has taken place. And this is I alluded to. It's the I do portion of the marriage ceremony, right? So it's the exchanging of the vows. Whereas the second ordinance there is the Lord's Supper. You've got baptism and then the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper celebrates the continual identification with Christ and his church. If baptism was the wedding ring of the marriage ceremony, then the Lord's Supper is the celebration of the wedding anniversary or special evening away to celebrate and reflect on the union. Where baptism is symbolic of the I do between Christ and the church, then the Lord's Supper is symbolic of I continue from Christ to his bride. So uh, it's this, this mindset of I continue to want to. So, for example, this weekend, my wife and I had a couple appointments that we needed to be at. And my wonderful parents kept our kids uh, uh, Friday afternoon through this morning. And so it was some date night that we squeezed in in those times for us just to have it. And so it's a continual identification with, hey, I continue. I continue to want to be with you. 
I continue to want to spend time with you. Whereas the initial conversation was the I do's of the ceremony. Well, that ceremony is now over. That's baptism. And now we come together to continue to be reminded why we, we need Christ and why we need the body of Christ. So why do we need the head and his body? And this is why, we would, why God asks us to do those two things. Both symbolic, neither one are necessary for salvation, but are both evidences of salvation. So baptism, Lord's Supper. Baptism being the I do, the vows, and the Lord's Supper uh, being reflection of the I continue. So what are two ordinances of church? Lord's Supper, baptism, and we're speaking, spending most of our time speaking of baptism this morning. Second question, is there biblical support then for the various names associated with the Lord's Supper? So in this, you're going to see at least four names. There's other names that are associated with this, and it depends on what background you have, depending on what the name that you're going to hear and what you're going to receive. And you may have other names that are not listed here uh, that identifies with this. So the first we're going to see is the Lord's Supper. You see it clearly right out of the text here. Verse 20 when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So you're, you're going to see that's one proper name for what we're doing this morning, entitled the Lord's Supper. So oftentimes it's where at least our church is going to identify this time by that name, proper name for this ordinance, the Lord's Supper. But you also hear it named other things. Uh, the second one is not just the Lord's Supper, but the breaking of bread. You see that as we're studying Luke, right? Luke has, has his gospel according to Luke. And then Luke also wrote, or many believe Luke also wrote, the, the, the book of Acts. And so in the book of Acts, Acts uh, 2.42, Acts 2.46, Acts 20, verse 7, uh, you're going to see him re- referencing, Luke referencing to the breaking of bread. You'll see also in the end of the book of Luke, Luke 24.35, he references this act of communion, Lord's Supper, uh, the breaking of bread, all being the same thing. And so... You might hear some people say, what's well, the breaking of bread? As you read through Luke and you read through Acts, you're going to see that term, and it means this ordinance that we're doing this morning. Third, you've heard me say it a couple times already this morning, communion. Communion. If you're still there in 1 Corinthians 11, back up one page. If, well, back up to uh, verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 16. I want you to see something, because this is where the, word, or the term for communion come from. This is why certain people use communion as a, as a name for the Lord's Supper. And it comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. He's warning the people about idolatry. Uh, he, being Paul, is warning people about idolatry in, in 1 Corinthians 10. And he gets to verse 16. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, it is, not, is it not a participation, or it can also be translated communion, in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation, or once again, communion in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we, are, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. And so he's communing there. He's kind of using this in, uh, as an example of showing the kind of the cup and the bread and walking through what communion kind of looks like and, is, and how it, it shows the unity that you have with Christ and with the body of Christ. And so that, that term there, the word is the actual word koinonia, uh, which speaks of us having things in common. And it's where we get the word communion or participation. And so the title for um, Lord's Supper can also be called communion, and they base it based on uh, off of those, those passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. Not so familiar in Baptist circles is the term Eucharist. And that's your fourth de- uh, title there, Eucharist. And I know you're probably not going to spell it, so that's why we have PowerPoint, praise the Lord. So Eucharist, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. So it was in, in the context of the passage that we just read. 
Uh, and when, I'll begin in verse 23, but just kind of show you where it comes from. Not an official title, um, necessarily like the Lord's Supper, where it's implying that's what it is. But many have given it this title, Eucharist, based upon verse 24. So we'll pick up in verse 23 just for context, and, and show, I'll show you where it comes from. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had, and here's the term, given thanks... When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you think, well, why don't we just call it given thanks? Well, good, good question. It comes from the Greek word, eucharistia, uh, and eucharistia means thanksgiving, and it's translated in the verb form, given thanks. So eucharistia uh, is, the, uh, is the Greek word, and that's where ultimately they define, even though it's not an official title given from the Bible, they use that, that Greek word there to communicate in its verb form, the Eucharist, and that's where, so it's another time. So if you hear somebody mention the Eucharist, and you're like, what is that? It's the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's Table. It's the Lord's, um, it's communion. It's the breaking of bread. And so those are just for, just so that we can begin to see and know what some of those things are. Some people attach more things to this ordinance, and we're going to talk through some of that, and some people attach less things to this ordinance. The reality is we're commanded to do it, uh, but we also have to understand why we're doing it. That's why I want to make sure before we participate in it, You've, you've at least been trained from the Word of God somewhat of why we do what we do. Because what I want to try to, I want to try to guard us against is the mindset that we just do it because it's just what you do when you come to church. And, and I want to make sure you understand this is an obedience to what God has asked us to do. So, third question: Who should participate then in the Lord's Supper? And the answer here uh, is only those who have been born again. Born from above, born a second time, spiritually born. So you have a physical body, you've been born once. And a person who repents of their sin, places their faith and trust in the finished work of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for our sins. Trusting in, in that he is the son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died the death that we deserved, and rose again, uh, uh, conquering death, hell, and the grave, showing he was truly the son of God. When you place your faith and trust in him, then the Bible says the Spirit of God comes to reside in you. You're regenerated, made new, and that's your new birth, John chapter 3. And so it's one who has been born again and demonstrates fruits of repentance. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, once again, our definition is people who would be born again. So if you're here and you're unsure of your salvation, uh, you're not born again. You're, I mean, not just unsure like you can sometimes have doubts, but you know you're not born again. You, you've never repented and placed your faith and trust in Jesus. And we would ask in a moment when we participate that you would just observe that. Uh, and so that, and with no condemnation behind that, but just to be able to say, it's not, it'd be like you want to come and participate in the wedding ceremony when you weren't invited to the wedding party, right? So once again, this picture of being a part of the family as a guest, you don't just come up and want to toast or, you know, want to be able to, to speak a eulogy at a funeral when you don't know the guy. Well, the reality in this same kind of mindset is just observe and, and see the, the unity that we have as a body of Christ. And the Bible speaks that, and even in the book of 1 Corinthians, that many people can learn uh, the love of Christ as a result of just watching the body love on one another, which we're going to participate in in a few moments. So you must be born again. Second, demonstrating fruits of repentance. If you were walking in rebellious sin... Based upon what the scripture text says, and then we'll, we'll have some more definition at the, at the end, but based upon what the scripture teaches us, I just caution you for your good not to participate this morning. So if you're walking in unrepentant, rebellious sin, not that you've, you've even you've maybe sinned as early as coming into the service, 
But your heart's contrite. You're broken over it. You spent time and will spend time before we receive the cup and the bread meditating on that and confessing that and acknowledging that and repenting of that. And if your heart's broken, then by all means, I would welcome you to participate. But if you've been engaged in sin and you're not broken over it, you're not contrite with it, for your benefit, I ask you, based on what the Scriptures just taught us about judgment being brought upon you, I would ask you not to participate for your benefit and for the glory of the God. And so that's why I put both of those in there. For those who are born again and those who are demonstrating fruits of repentance. And I want to say, you're not I mean you're living a sinless life. It just means that when you sin, you, you are convicted by it and you want to rid yourself of it. If you're walking here and you maybe fallen as late as last night and, and you're not even remorseful of it, man, I, I would just take time to ask God to break you for that, of that, so that you can walk in victory. And if that happens during this time, I mean, even in our sermon, and you really are contrite and, you've, and you're confessing sin just right there before the Lord, then I, I think the Bible would communicate, man, by all means, proceed with, with identifying with his faithfulness and, and forgiving you and even in your current sin. So that's who should participate, those who are born again and demonstrating fruits of repentance. Next question, where should we, where should we participate in the Lord's Supper? Two, two answers to that. First is the Bible does not prescribe the facility where you gather. So it's not necessarily saying, well, you can't have it here and you can't have it there. You see in the book of Acts, they're, they're, they have it from house to house. Uh, even there's some illustrations that may even have it daily, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But they're having it house to house on a daily mindset. Um, and so it's not about the facility, whereas the Bible does prescribe the assembly that has gathered. You see that all throughout this particular text. You see it in verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church. So once again, that's why it's important that you're born-again believers demonstrating fruits of repentance. When that gathering happens which is what we're doing this morning, it says, man, that's an opportunity for you to be able to provide the Lord's Supper. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody has to gather together. You could do that within your home amongst the believers, but ultimately it's saying it needs to be those who are gathering in the name of Christ. So just because there are believers at the Braves game, that mean that's the time to participate in the Lord's Supper, right? Uh, because you know, there may be a lot of believers at the Braves game, but that's not the place where you host it. It's for people who are concentrating to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's about the gathering. So you see it in verse 18, you see it in verse 20. When you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper you eat? You see it again in verse 33 and then again in verse 34. Verse 33, it says, uh, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together. So it's this gathering of the body of Christ. That's where. So it's not a location that's prescribed as much. It's an assembly that's prescribed for us to be able to gather. You need to do it with other believers. Next question, when should we have the Lord's Supper? How often should this happen? Some, here's your answer, some commend that it should be weekly as the church gathers. So you see that in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Just write that in. You can go back and look at it uh, later. But it says, on the first day of the week, speaking of Sunday, uh, that's the Lord's day, they would gather. So it says, and then it continued to communicate about them gathering together for the Lord's Supper. And so does that mean, is it an implication, is it a commendation that we should do it weekly? And some churches do. They participate in the Lord's Supper every single week. Now, the only question with that would be, if you're going to take that stance, well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it speaks of, well, what about daily then? They would meet daily, and it says they were breaking bread. Remember, that was one of the terms, one of the definitions that Luke used to describe the Lord's Supper. And so even in that sense, should we then, based upon what we see in the book of Acts, if that's a prescription that we're looking for, and as far as a commendation, then and you have to look at, well, what about then doing it every single day uh, if you're going to look at what Luke was writing? And so I think those are more describing events, not necessarily prescribing things you should or shouldn't do. So with some commend that it should be weekly, the Bible commands it should be often. 
And that's all you see through here. As often as you do this, as often as you do this. So there needs to be some continuation of doing it regularly, but it's not necessarily a prescription. You should have to do it every single week, every single day, uh, but you should do it. And when you do it, you should do it to honor the Lord. So uh, when should we do it? Some come in weekly. The Bible commands often. Next question, how, how should we understand the significance of the Lord's Supper? And that's where this text is going to help us the most. Um, uh, well, coming up, that's going to help us the most. So how, we sh- how should we understand the significance of the Lord's Supper? Number one, the elements, meaning the bread and the cup, do not physically change to ensure that Christ is in us as a means of salvation. You're thinking, I wouldn't think that. Well, uh, that's hopefully because you thought deeply about it and you've been taught biblically about it. Um, in certain denominations, there's a teaching called transubstantiation. Just a big word that means there's a teaching that you, when you take the bread and put it in your mouth, it literally, upon being chewed and consumed, becomes the literal body of Christ. When you drink the cup, whether it be wine or grape juice, uh, we have grape juice, just so you know, uh, wine or grape juice, uh, when you receive it and, and it's ingested, it literally becomes the blood of Christ. And it's a means by which you are, your salvation is ensured. And the danger in that is it means then that you're not trusting in Christ and his finished work for you on the cross and what he's already accomplished for you. That there now must be means of works that you do to continue to make sure that you're saved. It's slight, but it's, it's important for us to know that. So we believe the Bible teaches the elements, your next point, the bread and the cup, are figuratively reminders uh, to us of Christ's work already accomplished for salvation. So they don't change. They stay the bread and they stay the, the cup, but it's a time of renewal. It's a time of remembrance, as the Bible teaches us. And that's really important because the moment you begin to adopt the, the concept of transubstantiation, ultimately then there's another means by which you can be saved other than just truly repentance and faith in Christ. And this now, all of a sudden, this bread and, and cup are almost put on equal playing field with Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And nobody would want to communicate that, but that's the bottom line. That's the same thing with others who I believe in baptismal regeneration, that ultimately now it's something I can do to earn my salvation, in which they believe it's through baptism that the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you, And they would never want to communicate that, but ultimately you're putting baptism or the Lord's Supper on the same playing level, same playing field as trusting Christ and Christ alone. And the Bible's full of examples and full of commendation to say it's by faith alone, through by grace alone, in Christ alone, period. And we do it as a renewal and a time of reminder. Which then brings us to our last question. Why should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Number one, to remember. It says it very clearly here in verse 24 and verse 25. To remember what? The body of the Lord Jesus, right? So in verse 24, when he, he communicates, and this when he had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we're to remember the body of Christ that was broken for us on the cross, that he received the wrath that we deserved as sinners. And not only to remember the body of Christ, but to remember the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 25, and he continues, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the, uh, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remembering that there, where there is no um, uh, blood, there is no remission of sins. Right? So it has to be this cleansing through blood. And what Jesus did on the cross was he was that sacrificial Passover lamb that this, our sins could be passed over, not just passed over, but they could be completely atoned for. 
and completely forgiven. And that would be the final sacrifice that any of us would ever need if we were willing to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation experience. So we're remembering the blood and the body of Jesus. Second, to reflect on some things. To reflect on, number one, our sinfulness. And that's the portion of verse 27 through 31 where it continues to talk about, well, don't take this, this cup, don't take this bread, don't take the Lord's Supper in an, a manner unworthy because if so, you're going to drink and eat judgment upon yourself. So it's a reminder to us, why did Jesus go to the cross? What are we remembering about him going to the cross? He went to the cross and his body was broken, not his bones, but his body was broken, his blood was spilt, and that wrath that was poured out on him was for a purpose. What was that purpose? To honor God in his holy justice and to be able to demonstrate mercy for those who aren't deserving of, of, of mercy and forgiveness. And so on the cross, God's justice was upheld and God's mercy was revealed all at the same time. And so we need to be reminded to this that while we've got together that we weren't deserving. It really is a place for us to be able to say sometimes we get a little haughty if we've been in the faith for a while sometimes and we're learning a lot and we can become to be a little judgmental of others. But just reminded where God found us and how God saved us. And none of us were deserving. I was worst of sinners. I wasn't deserving of salvation. I didn't look at me and be like, oh, yeah, he's awesome. We we need him. And so the reminder for us is to reflect on our sinfulness. That's what the whole verse 27 to 31 is talking about. And as we are reminded of our past sinfulness that was forgiven, and even our immediate sinfulness, like I communicated before, that you might have fallen into sin and you're able to be reminded of that and reflected on what Jesus did for you. And it brings humility and contrition so that we bring that before Christ, even maybe at this moment and this hour, and we say, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I, I, I love you. I have loved you. And, and if you're already born again, if you're not, you, I want to love you. Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? And then that, when we reflect on our sinfulness, it also is a time for us to reflect on God's faithfulness. To be reminded, that's why then Jesus went to the cross. And when we participate in the Lord's Supper, may we feast. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost like a wedding feast that we gather together to say, Oh God, we are grateful that even when we're faithless and we're sinful, even after salvation, you are faithful. And may we feast on his forgiveness when there's true contrition, repentance, and forgiveness of sin. And we know that it will be true. When we're broken, we confess and forsake our sin. The Bible says Old Testament, New Testament like there will be mercy. Mercy and pardon. Third, to remember the body and blood of Jesus, to reflect on our sinfulness and God's faithfulness, and to renew our commitment to the following. The commitment to Christ. He says this over and over, do this in remembrance of me. Our commitment to the church, right? Verse 17 of, of chapter 10 that I read to you earlier about the, the warning against idolatry and that we're one body under Christ. And so we're remembering Christ and his body. That's what he continued to say in the beginning of, of, of eleven seventeen. He says, when you get together, it's actually worse off. It'd be better if you didn't come to this gathering this morning the way you guys treat one another. And so it's a reminder of the commitment to the church, the body of Christ. And then lastly, our commitment to the Great Commission, Remember what he say in verse, in verse 26? For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When he comes, he's coming back in victory and power, and many people will be damned at that, at that particular time. And Jesus is coming back. And he's not coming back. And there's coming a day where he's coming back in, 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 in authority. And in that time, it's, it's going to be a different, the day of the Lord is going to be a different time. And so as we look at this, it should be an urgency to us to continue to, in the Lord's Supper and outside of this place and other places, to communicate God's faithfulness and sharing.
the gospel with others, sharing why they, people, why Jesus need to die as far as our remembering it, reflect on our sinfulness and God's faithfulness so that we are eager to go tell people that if we could be forgiven of sins, they can be forgiven of sins. And then lastly, to rejoice. And I don't want us to miss this. That's why I want to make sure there's teaching on this, that it's not just some trite thing that you do and it doesn't mean anything to you. And we should rejoice in this. We should rejoice in our freedom in Christ. And we've been made free. Freed from being a slave to sin and freed to be a slave to righteousness. That's exactly what we want. It's what we were created and designed for. And we want to have, we want to have satisfaction and contentment and purpose apart from Christ. And so may we rejoice in that freedom. And you think, well, I just want to do whatever I want. There's no freedom in chaos and anarchy. Think about that. One of the most frustrating things about being in Atlanta is Atlanta traffic. Right? And that's still order. You don't have people coming northbound, heading south. We need rules and guidelines. We need structure. And so when you come, you'll be able to say, are these rules and commands that we follow burdensome, cumbersome, laborious type things? If so, check your heart. Because I serve the Lord with joy. Because I see the benefits of it. It's not only a benefit to me, it's a benefit to my wife and my kids. It's a benefit to those that are around me, saved and unsaved alike. It's good that I don't rape people. It's good that I don't take advantage of people. It's good that I don't steal from others. That's good. And so rejoice in the freedom in Christ that we're not held in bondage to sin. And rejoice not only our freedom to Christ, but our future with Christ. Once again, when proclaim this Lord's death until he comes. Men and women, he is coming. And when he comes, there is going to be great joy for those who are in Christ. There's a day where we will see him face to face and rejoice in that. So this morning when we participate in the bread and in the, in the cup, be reminded this is just a foretaste. And not a very good one in the sense of how it actually literally tastes, but of the reminder of what we've physically, spiritually tasted in Christ. That, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And it will only be better in the days ahead. And so that's a little reminder for that. And so... The invitation is going to be the participation in our, at the Lord's table. The invitation is going to be the participation in the Lord's table. So let me explain a little bit how we do this quickly, and then we're going to dive into this. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.